Welcome to Pharmacy View Podcast, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacists and key people within Australian pharmacy and the associated global industry. In this stream of podcast episodes, we discuss with our guests the full scope of leadership tools that go into building the Pharmacy Leaders Toolbox for team and career success. I am your host, Chantelle Turner, pharmacist, leadership coach, and founder of Turn Pharmacy Leadership. My guest today is proudly brought to you by Shopfront Solutions for all your shelf and digital marketing needs, part of the Arion Technologies Group. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Pharmacy View podcast. Today, I am very excited to introduce our guest, Marta, who is a pharmacist and runs her own business, Fusion Health Space. Now, Fusion Health Space is a pharmacy workflow and design specialist company uh, who helps people or pharmacies to, I guess, optimize their workflows um, and optimize patient times and wait times. But Marta's going to tell us a lot more about that. So um, before I can keep waffling on, welcome, Marta. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Chantel. Thank you very much for inviting me along. Fantastic. So I started to give an introduction to your business and realized that you're probably going to be much better at that than I am. So can you tell us a little bit about Fusion Health Space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess I sort of started Fusion Health Space earlier this year, um, returning to an area of pharmacy that I am super, super, super passionate about. Um, and that's working with pharmacies to try and, like you sort of uh, alluded to, redesign their layouts, rework their workflow. Um, and, and, I, and there's much more to it, I guess, than just looking at a floor plan and a design, which is what most people think about when you talk about mm -hmm. design of an internal space. It's looking at sort of a holistic view of the operation, the people working within the space, um, the functional things that the pharmacy wants to do, the services it wants to provide, and how we sort of, I guess, put the Tetris puzzle of what the physical environment needs to look like to support mm -hmm. and optimise that operation. Yeah, great Tetris puzzle. I reckon we're gonna I'm gonna park that and going to come back and see what parts of the puzzle that there might be that we haven't actually thought of. So before we get there, tell me what led you into this space. How did you get here? Um, so I worked as a community pharmacist for about ten years as my primary role. Um, I did. I, I call it a bit of soul searching. I moved around a lot, so I moved. Um, I worked in Tassie, Victoria, North Queensland. Worked in a variety of different pharmacy models, um, discounters, medical centres, shopping centres, all, all that jazz, and really enjoyed rural pharmacy. That was probably one of the highlights of my career. And then decided I wanted to do something that was related to business. I was always really interested in the business side of things, but just not at time and place to buy a pharmacy. So I went back to study um, and did an MBA. And during that time, um, actually joined Willac and as a consulting pharmacist, working with the team there, doing training on implementation of the Willac systems, be it the automation or the shelving um, and optimising the layouts for efficient dispensary workflows. So it was it was a really um, interesting um, job and mm -hmm. I stayed with that business for 11 years in a variety of roles and then went to work for a digital health tech company for a few years and then decided um, I think that my passion was really um, more closer to that sort of pharmacy workflow, operational consulting aspect, uh, training aspect, working with pharmacy teams. So, um, yeah, hence Fusion Health Space was born earlier this year. Yeah, right. So I guess hearing you talk about that, um, Fusion takes on uh, a bit of a different um, 
thought in my process. So was there, can you explain why fusion, just out of curiosity? Why the word fusion? Yes, because yeah. I think, um, I guess I sort of touched on it a little bit earlier that design is not just, um, you know, drawing a few rooms and the, and the layout. I think pharmacy is such a, particularly community pharmacy, is such a unique environment. Um, if I if I look at it from a sort of higher level, you know, you've got the pharmacy regulatory um, aspects of it, you've got um, building code aspects of it, you've got uh, a consumer in a retail environment that needs to be supported with their expectations, you've mm -hmm. got the operational logistical functions of actually having a dispensary in that environment as well. Um, so it, I, I think it's sort of like it's a blend of all those aspects when you put that Tetris puzzle together to make sure you've covered off and um, yeah, taken all those elements into consideration. So, Marta, as you know, I'm interested in leadership, the leadership component of um, community pharmacies. And speaking from personal experience, I know that there was some parts of the design and the pharmacies that I've worked in that really helped to optimize workflow, but also make my life as the manager easier. And then there was also some parts that had been, dare I say it, poorly designed. Um, and it, in, it didn't only impact um, the workflow, but it impacted my capacity and my team's capacity to be efficient. So are there any kind of general rules or things that you see in pharmacies that help or hinder managers, I guess? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, sort of links back to something we were talking about before before the podcast actually and I think that's it, it's never a it's never a um, a cookie cutter approach and I have spoken to pharmacy owners or sort of smaller groups that have sometimes said oh we want to really standardize things and whilst I appreciate the, uh, the I guess the economies of scale and efficiencies around standardizing you know one pharmacy is not the same as another pharmacy, even sometimes within the same group, um, same ownership structure, same banner. And I think it's really important when you create a space or work with a particular pharmacy to understand um, sort of the, the layers that make that pharmacy up. So what are like, obviously the objectives, um, mm. what's the team like, um, even, even what are the opportunities for the business in that area? And you know, creating, even if we talk about a basic dispensary layout and, you know, where the scripts are receipted and taken in, where the scripts are processed, where the scripts are given out, that might work differently if you have, um, you know, three pharmacists on the team, one pharmacist on the team, you're open extended hours. How do you create the space so that it works? If you're open from, say, 8 a.m. till 10 p.m., how do you know that space is going to work when there's only one pharmacist and maybe one support staff mm. member versus when it's the peak time in that pharmacy and you have three pharmacists, two techs and four staff out on the in the front of shop? So mm. um, we try and sort of work through what is it going to look like in quiet times? Was it What is it going to look like in peak times? How does supervision of the space work? Because as you know, you know, you might be working with an awesome tech, but you still need to be able to check the script and still keep an eye on what's happening in the, you know, scheduled medicines counter and have ear range with other conversations that might be going on. So it's, it's really, um, 
And I guess that's where we feel our point of difference is because we've come from so much work within the pharmacy space, knowing to ask those questions to understand what happens in that business mm. today, but also where does the owner want to take that business so that we're factoring into account. You know, if they come in and say, look, we're actually going to bring on two extra pharmacists and we're going to create all this stuff, fantastic. How is that space then going to support that um, that operational aspect? Yeah. Okay, great. So um, it's designing for the team at hand, but the team that may be coming as well. Yes, in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And again, it's it's about the objectives, right? So the conversation starts, what do you want to do with your business? Um, Where are you at now? Um, Where do you want to be in two years time, five years time? It might be that this project for someone later in their career, this is their their final hurrah project. You know, they want to really create a a legacy with a with a pharmacy. They want to recreate, and in five years' time, perhaps sell or retire or pass on to a junior partner or, or something like that. Um, it might be that this is someone's first pharmacy. They've had it for a couple of years, and they're really excited to build it and grow it. And they they bought a diamond in the rough. Um, and they can see a lot of opportunities. So, um, you know, even even as far as having designs where you you stage that process, so you go, okay, well, your budget is this, your script numbers are this at the moment. You know, we're you're not putting in a automated system for, as as a good example, but you know that there is capacity in your business if you do a couple of things, create a consult room, and you've got a great vision that in three, five years' time, your script volume is going to grow in this trajectory. Let's factor it in so you don't have to rip everything out and do a massive shop fit again in five years' time. You can do a bit of sort of a retrofit. So there's really, um, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. That's why I'm sort of, I'm never too keen where people say, oh, we want something that we can then replicate 10 times. You can create elements that you can replicate, but I think it really is an individualised approach that we prefer to take each time. Beautiful, beautiful, like leadership should be. So you've spoken about this objectives a few times. It's come up quite a few times already about the owner's objectives. So I know when I'm onto a good thing in my brain, I can tend to run ahead uh, and expect people to understand what's going on. So while I'm sure that you can tease these ideas out of owners' heads, what other things should owners be thinking about um, when it comes to, I guess, thinking about these objectives and I guess also thinking about their team and what should they know about these objectives too? This is a passion topic of mine, Chantel. How much time do we have again? As much as you need. <laughs> Look, you've you've really you've really um, touched on a really important thing. And you know, if you had phrased that question, what makes for some of the most successful projects I've seen over the last fourteen years working in this space versus the ones that have struggled, the answer would be very similar. I think um, c- communication, and I know it's such a you know kind of like it's been a word that's been flogged to death. I think, but it. It's the number one thing I think that is consistent throughout the projects. Like I said, if I reflect back all the years that I've been kind of in and around this space, the most successful projects that have hit the ground running um, from day one of opening and have been really, you know, quick in getting all the successes and business benefits that some of these things um, 
aim to achieve have been the ones where the where the owners or leaders within that business have been great at communicating. And you're exactly right that it's not um, it's not I think something that's done intentionally, but let's let's for you know as an example say the owner's gone to a conference they've spoken to their peers they're really excited they've got a little bit of an idea that they want to take their business and do it you know tweak it change a few things maybe add some consult rooms try a few services they see an opportunity for expanding with um compounding lab for example just a couple of generic examples they come back from the conference they're all energized they call their mate three suburbs away he's got a pharmacy they talk to their business partner they go, yep, we're going to do this, fantastic. They might come in and do a couple of shifts in the pharmacy. They'll talk to the pharmacist in charge, oh, we're going to do this. But that messaging and the excitement and the reason, the why, and I know I listened to a presentation you did, you know, the <laughs> why are we doing this, it's so important, doesn't filter down through the whole team in the organisation. And that, of course, is, you know, the the the, the whole start of the change piece, isn't it? People don't yeah. understand, they're not sure, they get nervous, they start worrying, um, particularly with, I think, the the vibe in the industry at the moment. You know, if I was working as a part-time assistant or maybe a junior tech and I kind of had whispers of things aren't great in the industry and then the owner came in and said, oh, we're going to get a, a robot and we're going to do a whole overhaul of the pharmacy, the first thing I'd probably think is, oh, you know, crap, I'm going to lose my job potentially. So I think um, to to sort of nip it in the bud with fear, um, to get the team engaged, to get them excited, to bring everyone along the journey, communication is so important. Um, and just remembering that people aren't mind readers and if you're excited and you have this vision, you've, you've, got, to, you've got to communicate that effectively. And the best examples I've seen of um managers and, and leaders sort of the area that you work in is where you know simple things they've had a whatsapp group they've had um a staff meeting maybe they don't have regular staff meetings but they've decided this is a big project we're going to make it a big deal so we're going to have a staff meeting we haven't had one for 12 months but we're going to have one to show everyone this is an exciting big deal um and, and make it sort of a, a really positive thing. So create that sense of positivity around the change. Um, because I think if you think about, um, and please feel free to cut this out if I'm rabbiting on for too long. Mm. If you have the customer that comes in and say they're, they're work Monday to Friday, nine to five, and they only come to your pharmacy every other month on a Saturday. And the only staff they interact with, perhaps are the juniors that come in on a Saturday and are working in the front of shop space. And they love the staff, they have a good relationship with them, and they happen to say, wow, Chantelle, see there's a bit of stuff going on at the back, what are you doing? And and they get a bit of a shrug of the shoulders or a bit of a, oh, I think, I think, you know, I think we're doing like something, I think a robot's coming or or we're rebuilding the back end or we're going to be doing, we're putting a lab in or, and it's a little bit great. That doesn't portray a really good um, impression to the to the customer mm. and I think reinventing your pharmacy particularly with a lot of clients that we work with that do these refits because they want to increase services they want to increase the experience for the patients those conversations are a fantastic opener to promoting why you're doing this you know oh yeah. yes we are we're doing a refit because we really want to focus on patient experience and we want to provide better services and we're expanding professional services 
you know, there's such a huge gap in customer awareness of what pharmacy does. So I think any opportunity you have to lead a customer into a conversation and basically market what you're doing with your business is fantastic. But that can only happen if that junior that only works on Saturdays has been part of that communication and is on board and along for the ride. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, you said right at the top of that, you know, communication, it's a word that's, you know, been flogged to death. And I think you're 100% right. But where you drilled that down into is, I guess, some really cool components about, you know, why we're doing it um, is important to communicate. And this is what I um, speak to a lot of people about. We can say, oh, we've got to communicate more. But what? What and how are we communicating to to these staff? So, you know, we can tell them, yeah, we're putting in a robot, we're refitting the straw. That's not enough. There's still lots of fear and uncertainty. Where do I fit into that? Yes. How does the patient fit into that? And, you know, you spoke about even the the most junior staff being able to have that conversation with um, the customer that only comes in on a Saturday. That's even able to improve the certainty of the patient uh, as well. So it's not that they're redesigning the shop and I'm not going to be welcome here or it's going to be shutting down while they actually pull this all apart. There's lots of different elements to that as well. So what I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, is about really communicating why they're doing it in the first place, how it's going to happen, how people are going to be um, impacted and also elevated as well in their roles, how it's going to make their lives better. Um, and then what what it's going to look like as well, as opposed to just starting with what it's going to look like and what's going to happen and then leaving everyone to their own devices to kind of figure out the rest. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that why is really important. And I think the owners, the managers, the leaders in these businesses, they get a lot of the why from, you know, attending events and networking and speaking to their peers that, have their own businesses in you know other suburbs interstate and and whatnot but i think the why um doesn't get communicated effectively enough and Mm. and yeah and that's a really important um it's a really important factor because i think a lot of the messaging at the moment in the industry is like well you know particularly over the last few months like oh 60 day dispensing it's a bit of a worry what's going to happen um, and there has been a bit of concern, but I think there's also a lot of opportunity and a lot of positive things, um, you know, on the horizon for the industry. So the why should be around the positivity and the opportunities. And we're doing this because, you know, we want to create a better place to work, a better place for our patients to come. Um, and patient experience, customer experience, you know, call it what you want, is is such an important factor for any business in any industry. So, mm, Yeah. And I suppose also with the why and having the owners clear on their why that is beyond, you know, having seen something super cool at a a conference or whatever is also really important in essence to you being able to do your role effectively as well. Um, And you said that before, something along the lines of that, you know, not every pharmacy is the same, so there should be nuances as well. Um, I have this saying when I'm teaching kids how to ride um, is that, you know, I might have a Ferrari in the driveway, but it doesn't mean I know how to drive it. And I see that, you know, in your case, you might be able to build the Ferrari of a pharmacy 
but it doesn't mean that the staff know how to utilize it effectively. It doesn't mean that it's fit for purpose for um, the patients that are coming in or even the business model that is there. So I guess my next question is then, is we've spoken about in the process of setting up and redesigning the importance of communication and um, outlining the objectives of the over and having that infiltrate right down to the most junior members. What other components do you see as important to making sure, I guess, the space is utilised the way it's intended as well? Or what impact does that have on um, a redesign as well? Yeah, look, I think resourcing is a really big one. Tell me more about that word, resourcing. Sorry to interrupt. Tell me more about that that word, resourcing. Explain that to me. Um. I guess it's having the the right people to put in the right places within that space that you've designed. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example, you know, probably three, four years ago, speaking to one particular owner who really wanted to do more with consult rooms and um, had a bit of a funny shape of the pharmacy. And they said at the time, oh, I think we, we, we sort of need more consult rooms. Anyway, crux of it is we ended up putting more consult rooms in, but in the early stage of the conversation um, we had a lot of discussion before we sort of got launched into the design about well it's all good and well to say you want consult rooms but what are you actually going to do with them and do you have the people to fill them do you have the services to put and and you know run in those mm. consult rooms because I've also seen people put consult rooms in and then they end up being a bit of storage or you see the shopping trolley with a bit of cardboard that needs to go out to recycling. I mean, we've all we've all seen it and probably most of us have done it in places that we've worked, right? So, um, you know, I'll put my hand up for that one. Yep. Yep. So I think, um, again, you know, we, I sort of said putting the Tetris piece together and all the many layers, um, creating a space but then making sure that you can actually utilise and maximise the benefits of that space and Ultimately, you need you need people. Um, you need people with the right skills. Um, you need to have an idea of what services you're going to run. Are they actually right for the community that you're serving? Mm. You know, that, that's that's another big thing. Um, so I think I don't I don't know how I sort of digressed away from the question, but that sort of I think is kind of the things that um, I see then make the space work successfully or not. And, again, communicating, but communicating, letting your customers, patients, community that you serve know that that's what you're doing now because that's another, um, if you need another podcast topic, that's another passion of mine, actually letting patients know what pharmacies provide. You know, that's a really big one. You can't just build it and assume they will come. You need to build it and tell people what they can come now for. Yeah, beautiful. And again, um, I can see how that ties back into even while it's happening, such a great segue to being able to um, to tell your stuff, um, tell your patients about this as well. Yeah, huge. So when I was also asking about what can we do to optimise the effective use of these workspaces, uh, you mentioned about having the right staff in there. So I, I'm hearing training. Um the other thing that you haven't mentioned at the moment, but I'm just curious to get your input on, is systems um, as well. So 
Do you have any recommendations around reviewing systems when redesign goes in or what should be communicated to staff about um, the potential new workflows? I would assume new workflows if there's redesign going in. Um, so can you just elaborate a little bit more what you mean by systems like software platforms? Um, uh, great. It highlights the importance of language. Hey, you use the word resources and I think paper, I say systems and you think software. When I say systems, I'm also talking about procedures. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, workflow procedures, uh, I guess. So you spoke about script intake before. Um, if script intake has been done by the same staff member for the last 10 years in exactly the same way, um, we I could see that it's potentially going to end up being trying to put, you know, a square peg in a round hole if they're trying to do it the old way and we've redesigned it to something new. So what do we need to look at in terms of systems of um, of workflows, procedures, um, and what needs to be communicated or should be communicated if we're going to optimise these new redesigns? Um, yeah, look, I think that's, and, and your example of scripting is actually a good one because it's sort of, uh, it's, it's processes and it's tech together um, yep. when we talk about systems because what have we done and then how is the process now maybe, well, how do we need to change the process to accommodate the new? And I think things like if we use prescriptions as an example, um, the advent of e-scripts and how popular mm -hmm. that's become and, um, you know, thinking about when we talk about, okay, how many scripts encounters do you, do you need? We also talk about how do your scripts actually come into the pharmacy at the moment? Because there's now multiple channels. And it's also something that I know in the early days and, and probably still spoke to a number of pharmacists. Oh, it's so confusing now. You know, like people used to come in and say, I've got a script I need to pick up. And you say, oh, have you dropped it in or is it on file? And it was pretty straightforward. And now it's like, have you sent it via this app? Have you sent it via email? Have you got it here on file? Have you got it in digital copy? Have you, you know, there's there's like six questions you need to ask them. So um, also understanding, again, you know, it's not a one size fits all. What is happening in that pharmacy? What has the trend been with some of the changes that we that we see? What what way does the process need to perhaps be changed to better meet those changes? And then what do we need from a physical aspect in that space to actually support that? So, again, if I sort of continue on this script um, script example, do we have one or two areas where customers can drop in prescriptions or patients? I know I use the word a little bit interchangeably. Mm -hmm. um, drop in a prescription or talk to a staff member and request a, you know, on file or, or whatnot. But then if, if there's been a large uptake, particularly for that pharmacy of uh, digital, digitally submitted prescriptions that are submitted externally, do we also need to factor that there needs to be a resource who is regularly checking and responsible for picking up and dispensing those in another area? You know, speak to pharmacists and say, oh, we have, a, we have a, a, a pharmacist that comes in half an hour before we open because we always have a lot of accumulation of digitally sent through scripts by, you know, like a med advisor or, or something like that. Um, so thinking about where does that happen, who needs, who's required in the pharmacy to process that, um, and, and so forth, so forth. So I hope that sort of answered. Yeah. It's a bit of a sort of, again, got off a little bit off tangent. 
No, no, and, and it's perfect. And I'm really enjoying you listening to you think far beyond the mechanics of of the space because I must admit, even when we first started this conversation, when I see about design and workflow, I, I did, I was really thinking around the mechanics about how does something get from A to B. Um, and, you know, that is workflow at the end of the day. Yeah. But when you talk about resources who, you know, I also term um, staff and those human components to these design models, they're such a critical feature um, that A, the design's not going to work without it, um, but B, it makes the design seem much more human-focused uh, as well, which from my perspective makes a much more inviting proposition <laughs> than just, um, I guess, a sterile workplace. Marta, I'm interested. You mentioned before about the importance around being able to communicate to patients what we do, but also I see it as being able to identify, you know, where their gaps are and then being able to identify how, or when I say gaps, their um, their services, their, their needs that they have um, and how pharmacists and pharmacies, how we can meet those needs and are probably already meeting them, but they're just unaware of it at the moment. I'm just wondering if we took that concept and just went back one step and talked about our internal customers, our staff, and thinking about this whole redesign process, do you find any benefit or do you find any improvement in uptake when there is discussions between the owner and the staff about their pain points, their gaps or their confusions and what would make their life easier? Do, do you find if those conversations happen, it improves engagement or optimizes the outcomes at the opposite end? Yeah, abs absolutely. Um, I'll say absolutely, but to a degree. Um, and the yep. reason the reason I say that is I find um, it is really it's really valuable to get the broader team's input, and in some cases where it's um, been perhaps a more complex project or the, the owner sort of requested off the back of a few conversations, we've actually gone in and, and almost had little mini interviews with some of the key staff and said, okay, so, you know, um, if you could change this, what would you do? Just pretend money's no object. What would make your life easier and what works for you and what doesn't work for you? Because it's it's quite interesting sometimes. Um, it also depends on whether the owner is present um, often in the business or just sort of floats in and out mm. if they have multiple sites, which sometimes can happen. But sometimes, you know, it's all about perception, isn't it? What a person from one part of the business sees as being problems and challenges. Sometimes the staff, um, and I try and encourage them to be really open when I have the opportunity to have these conversations, say, I'm not going to quote and say, Chantel told me this. It's really just to help us understand as much as possible about what happens day to day. Mm. Um, and the staff sometimes are, you know, great opening up and say, oh, you know, everyone thinks this is the problem, but I'm doing it here every day. And if only this part got fixed, it would actually solve X, Y, and Z as a result of that. Um, so that can be really helpful and really insightful. And I have found 
maybe less so in design projects because we do that to a degree but maybe not quite as in-depth. We've done some consulting projects more around changing workflows and improving operations without the design where that component of those um, confidential staff interviews to try and draw out where the bugbears are, it, it forms a big part of that research part of that project. Um, but what, what you'll often find is that the, you get some key themes. So if you speak to six people in a business and say, well, what do you think, you know, and front of shop staff, back of house staff, admin staff, dispensary staff, et cetera, there'll be a couple of themes that get drawn out, which sometimes align with what the owner is saying or sometimes not quite, but you can see then why the owner feels there's a problem because then six people have said, well, actually this is where the issue is and we see it day to day. So that that's um, that's really um, important and insightful. And I say not always. Um, I said that at the start is because sometimes having 10 people on a meeting, everyone giving their opinion, you find it really stalls the progress of a project because everyone will want their two cents worth. Um, and I think it's, you know, you, you can never satisfy everyone 100%. No. So it's finding that um, that happy medium. But I have seen, again, the good examples of great managers, great leaders, great business owners that we've worked, for example, my team and the the partners of the business have worked together. We've got it to a point. We've run through like presenting our philosophies on how the designers come to be, meeting the objectives of the partners, et cetera, et cetera. And they've gone, yep, we're happy with that. We're going to now take it to our staff update meeting. So again, the ones that communicate well. And we're going to brainstorm this and, you know, we're going to come back to you with any sort of key standout things that, that come in. So they kind of act as a bit of a filter. They, um, And I think that from my observations, those processes have worked really well because it keeps the staff engaged. They're informed. Everyone mm. has a, an opportunity to speak their mind and put ideas forward. There's a little bit of a filter and those expectations of what what you know, realistically can be achieved and what can't is um, managed by the leaders and the, the owners. And then we get some of the feedback from that, that filtered feedback that we go back and go, oh, cool, yeah, look, fair point. We didn't think about that. That's great feedback. We'll make a bit of an adjustment. Um, because ultimately we do site inspections, we do, um, you know, these discussions with the team, but we're only seeing like the tip of the iceberg we, we don't work in the business. We try as best as possible to immerse ourselves, but we don't. So we're reliant on that feedback. Um, yeah. But, yes, I, I do preface that with sometimes, uh, what's the saying, too many cooks and get a bit of nowhere a bit of a stalemate so yeah and and, you know and that's a really important point to raise and you said you know about the the communication skills of the the good leaders the good owners the good managers Mm. um can help to temper expectations uh as well it is our role as owners managers leaders to be able to set the agenda um but then also allow opportunity for impact or um, insight or feedback in in a container as well that kind of puts a you know a few parameters around it, which makes it a little bit more, um, I guess, realistic for you to work with. But also, as I said, tempers expectations of of staff as well because it's one thing to say, oh, you know, let's have all of this feedback and then dismiss it. 
That doesn't That's leave right. feeling anyone more empowered. It makes them feel that they haven't been cared for or they haven't been considered. But Absolutely. by being able to, you know, be clear on thank you for the feedback, this is possible because or this is not possible because um, allows them to know they've been heard uh, and also addresses reasons why why not it can't it, it can occur too. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I think you particularly made about asking for feedback and then saying, well, we can't do any of that. You know, so I think you've got to be careful with these are the constraints and boundaries. What feedback do you have that, you know, within our boundaries we can address? Yeah, yeah. So, look, we've covered a lot of ground. From my perspective, what I'm hearing through all this is that you know, design and refits are really only one piece of this Tetris puzzle. Uh, it's the physical component, but we've got to pair that with the owner's objectives, what the store's objectives are and where they're heading for the future, and then figure out how we're going to pair that with the resources that are within the business as well. Um, the staff, the knowledge that exists there and what can be um, adjusted or repurposed in some ways um, around that's going to support the the redesign uh, or the optimization of the pharmacy. The other thing I've also heard and I'm really happy to hear is that it sounds like even if you have the best design, the thing that's going to make this really sing is some clear leadership um, and involvement of the team as well and keeping them engaged throughout. So I guess I want to shift on to the last question that I ask everyone, and that is I am building a leader's toolbox for pharmacists and pharmacies, and I'm just curious if you had to put one tool in what would it be? And I know you you sent me this question, I'm giving it away to the audience, before our podcast. And the first thing that came to mind, and now that we're wrapping up this conversation, I think it just, to, to me, reiterates it's still the thing that I'd suggest is, is that communication piece and communication to the team, communication to your patients um, and, and I guess any other stakeholders that uh engaged with your business. So communication, communication, communication. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm glad you didn't say AutoCAD. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no I, and, and I completely agree. And thank you so much for breaking down what communication is in this particular context. It's really important about why, why we are doing it, um, how it's going to be implemented, how everyone's going to be affected, influenced, or, you know, have um, their jobs um, maybe adjusted or optimised, uh, and then what it's going to look like at the end. It's not just about we're making this refit, we're making this redesign, we're reconfiguring or, you know, adding on some extra consult rooms. Um, there's a lot more to the communication, and I think it's been really important um, even for me to really understand what should be being communicated to our staff to make sure that these, you know, labor intensive and also, you know, financially large investments can be optimized and utilized to, you know, improve our teams and also the outcomes for our patients in our pharmacies as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
thank you so much for your time today. Uh, if anyone does need some assistance with uh, their workflows or design optimization, I do uh, recommend that you reach out to Marta and um, she will definitely help you out. So um, is there anything else to add, Marta? Otherwise, I think this is a fantastic place to end today. No, that's all. And thank you so much again um, for having the opportunity to chat with you, Chantel. I really enjoyed it. And I hope uh, the listeners out there got some value out of it as well. So thank you very much. Uh, well, I certainly did. So thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast. And don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment if you found this episode of value or have feedback. Podcast episodes are promoted through social media, LinkedIn, YouTube, and major podcast mediums. And each episode can be found on the Pharmacy View webpage with links to guest contact and business details. If you're a pharmacist or industry support supplier who would like to join us on an episode, send us a message through LinkedIn or complete an inquiry form on the Pharmacy View webpage. I am your host, Chantel Turner, pharmacist, leadership coach, and founder of Turn Pharmacy Leadership. And on behalf of Shopfront Solutions and Arion Technologies, thanks again for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast.